Welcome to the Vell Institute podcast. I'm your humble servant and host, Terry Weaver. Our mission for this podcast is to bring you stories about veterans, entrepreneurs, and leaders who are doing fascinating things with their lives. Our hope is to inspire you because we believe that inspired individuals will change lives, both theirs and others for the good. Bell Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we're asking for your support. There are two ways to do that. One, by getting involved with our mission, and two, by contributing financially. Please visit vellinstitute.org, that's V-E-L institute.org, to help us make an impact. Welcome to our newest edition of the Vell Institute podcast. My guest today is Daryl Jones. Daryl Jones played professional baseball for the Cardinals and the Reds organization in his time as a professional baseball player. He had a career over seven years. But before that, in this podcast, we get into how one can reach the highest level of any industry. The stories that he tells me about his childhood are truly fascinating. The way that he trained himself mentally, physically, and prepared himself and ultimately pushed himself to the highest level of the industry that he chose, which is professional baseball. I'm so excited to share this education with you. Daryl is a published author. He's an incredible communicator, and he's just got a great heart. You're going to learn a ton from this podcast. Thanks for listening. What's going on, man? Daryl Jones, what's up, man? How you doing? We, uh, we go way back, man. Um, we, uh, we started a leadership program together about... It must be four years ago now. Yep, four years. And I met you, and I was like, man, that guy's got some talent. I wanted, I wanted to get to know you. And I didn't find out you were a Major League Baseball player for probably a good, I don't know, couple weeks or months or something like that. It didn't come out, which is pretty cool because you're not yapping about your... <laughs> I forget about that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I was just talking about we were just talking about that earlier about how you can get so focused on the the future that you forget about uh, the now or things several accomplishments that you uh, had in the past, and so that would probably be the result of it. So, well, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm I'm excited to have you on here. Well, I appreciate. It. Thank you for having me because you're doing some good stuff. Uh, you are too, man. Thank you, yes, sir. So, I want to start off the podcast with some very serious questions. Okay. Are you ready? Uh, first one is favorite cartoon as a kid. Ooh. Think think like twelve years old. <sighs> twelve years old, man. Favorite cartoon. I, I have to say Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes, man. I always <laughs> watch the Looney Tunes. I can recite those things, and you got uh, Daffy Duck. And then you know that's when Space Jam came out. Too. You know, Space Jam came out, so that was really a big hit for me. No kidding. Yeah, Bugs Bunny. Now, uh, were you interested? Did you play basketball? I played basketball. Um, now, a lot of people will probably think I'm crazy for saying this, but I know. Uh, so my my dad actually when uh, when he would come and watch me play, he thought I was going to be an NBA player. Oh really? Yeah, because I mean I was you know pretty good. I don't talk about that much. Uh huh. Interesting. Know, all right. So Space Jam got you pumped up. <laughs> I, I was always a Michael Jordan fan. Now I'm a LeBron fan. You know. Uh huh. I, I kind of like uh, I like LBJ. Yeah, he's. Know? It'd be tough not to like that guy. Yes, sir. Okay, one more serious question before we get into the easy stuff. If you could be a superhero, who would you be? Super, Superman. Superman? Oh, yeah. Superman. I mean, the only thing they, they take him out is kryptonite. I mean, where is that at? 
Right. You know? <laughs> I mean, you can fly, run fast, strong, everything. You can't hit, hurt them. You know. Yeah. You can do whatever. That's what I compare myself. The problem with uh, kryptonite and anyone's weakness is it creeps up on you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you may not worry about kryptonite now, but... Right. Well, this, we, we all have a kryptonite, I guess you could say. Yeah. You know. This is it true. It have to be from krypton. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's right here on there. <laughs> yeah. True. Well, I want to talk about athletics because I know... You, I mean, your life has been filled with athletics starting out from really early probably. So can you just talk about early on, like where, where you first started, what you were doing? Well, I can tell you, I, honestly, I tell people this all the time. I don't remember being alive until I was about five years old. Okay. Uh, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate. But uh, my mom always said that I had a, a red bat in my hand in the driveway. Because I remember we used to live down in Sugarland, And... Uh, so when my mom and dad were together, we had a, a house down there. And um, before they got divorced, I would, you know, go out and swing that red bat. And that's kind of where it all started. Then we came, we moved down here to the spring area. And then I got started at Northwest 45. Uh, and I remember them, in my first year, they were, they were wanting to uh, see who was going to be the catcher. And I was upset because I didn't get chosen. First of all, I was left-handed. Okay, and you know I had too much speed, you know, so I tried my best to stay on the infield. I started off at they actually put me at second base, uh, but uh, too many times fielding the ball and running over and touching first base. Just because uh, of your raw speed? Yeah, but you can't do that. <laughs> you can get away with it at the little levels, but the older you get, you can't get away with that. So they find it now, bro. You can't do that. Um, so I tried out first base, and then I loved first base until the point to. Uh, Point where I remember Coach Scott was in there, Scott Wilson. He said, Bro, you're too fast to be in the infield. You got to move to the outfield. And so that was my first experience of not getting to be what I wanted to be, but doing what was uh, what you were necessary, gifted. what I was gifted to do. Yeah. And that's ultimately the position, obviously, that where I got a lot, had a lot of success from. So that was a teaching moment for me right there. Now, is it, but you were, you were in football, right? Did you think you were going to go? Did you play football as a youth or? Yeah. So I started football in fifth grade. I was 10 years old. I can remember I was in the hospital bed. Um, something was happening. I was sick or something. And uh, my team, my select, I was playing with a select baseball team. And I'd done that. Uh, back then, select baseball was really, uh, that's, it was really rare. It was when it first started happening. So like, if you were serious, that's when you play select baseball. Because league ball was, you know, where it was at at that time. So if you were playing select, you were considered, oh, Top hmm. not, and uh, we were actually called the Top Guns. So I remember Coach Rollmeyer came into the uh, the hospital, and my mom was debating back and forth whether we were going to play football or not. And when he walked out, I yelled out and said, "Hey, I want to play baseball again." And then after they left, I thought about it. I was like, "Eh, never mind. I don't want to play baseball. I want to try football out." So I started in fifth grade with the uh, Spring Dolphins. So this wasn't a. a, a public school team this was like a what no, was it? pop warner pop, pop warner, warner football yeah we did that right at uh do it middle school and you excelled at football yeah so i actually started as a fullback okay uh, and i was pretty skinny too so it didn't work so my, my buddy zach booker he was a running back and uh yeah i was run. i was fullback and tight end so i don't know if i was just got mad and made sure that i wasn't gonna play that position again there's only so much my skinny butt was able to take on them linebackers coming through the hole but, uh, yeah, my first touchdown, we had a little uh, 
halfback pass where I would line up at fullback and come out of the backfield and they'd toss it to Zach, the running back, and he'd throw it down. So I remember that was probably my proudest moment because that was my first touchdown. What do, what do you think kept you in sports? And we're going to talk oh, about your career, but I always like to ask about coaches. Yeah. You know, I liked it because I know coaches have big impact on players. So, yeah. but what kept you in sports? Was it just man competitive spirit? What was it? Well, first of all, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in, in that. Like I said, I wasn't uh, born with a baseball bat in my hand. You know, the more you expose yourself to something or a certain environment, you know typically starts to get a grip of your heart. Um, but obviously, you know, when you, it's a lot easier to stay in something you know you're good at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, you start hearing parents and you start hearing coaches, you start getting selected to all-star teams and things like that. And you start saying, oh man, I'm pretty good at this. You know, and then you, you as a kid, you know, you have these big dreams about, and you see on TV that, uh, I mean, oh, I want to be like that. I want to be like so-and-so. And then you try to be like that. And so obviously, I mean, I look at guys like Ken Griffey Jr. I mean, he was a big time. He was my favorite player. So that's uh, who you were looking at when oh, you were man. playing yeah, Ken, baseball. Ken Griffey Jr. That, I mean, I, I had his video game and everything on Super Nintendo. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it was called All Stars, All Star Baseball, or something. But he was the the main attraction in that game. And I just loved his. You know, he always wore a little earring there and uh-huh. did a little swagger. Swivel. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> you know, that I that I identified with that. I was like, that's me. Yes, you know, so. That, that's it and then you know you have uh, my mom you know my family you know obviously single parent household you know you're growing up you know I had a, being the first born my sister you know sometimes she had to you know take the back seat a little bit which she did willingly but uh, she really created an environment for me to uh, have a really positive optimistic mindset so I was grateful hmm. for that so she had a big impact in your life. Man, I couldn't walk around the house without seeing some kind of paper um, on the on the wall with attitude, you know, not you know, some positive. And so I'm seeing all this, and uh, I mean, it, 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 she had us, you know, speak encouraging words to ourselves in the morning and things. So I, I just always had something in me that it was different. My confidence level was a little bit different than a lot of the other kids, and I could just sense that um, even with guys that were looked at as being, you know, near athletic as I was, it would just when it push came to shove, I could get over that hump, and I, I attribute that to a lot of the the stuff that my mom had us doing behind closed doors mm. and exposing us to. And what? Where did that come from? Where did she learn that? I'm always curious. <sighs> You know, like I said, you know, a single mother, two kids, you know, we were raised in the church and, uh, you know, we always had that upbringing. Now, <laughs> there's many times that I remember falling asleep in the church, you know, but I, I obviously I didn't understand what I was being exposed to. And a lot of us can relate as we get older, like, oh, thank God for that, you know, or mm-hmm. else I might not be here. But she, um, man, we, we would be, my grandpa was a pastor, you know, at a church and, and my entire family from Detroit. I mean, every Sunday, three times on Sundays, you know, we always in the church. Now, sometimes, I mean, as a kid that got old, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, just her intentionally and not giving us the option at that age. Cause we didn't understand. I mean, we'd be riding to school, uh, and she'd make us say these little affirmations every single morning. Remember any of them? Oh, I remember all of them. 
Tell me, give me, give me your favorite. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll give you, I'll give you the first five. The first one, I'm a new creature predestined for greatness. I'm a child of God, fully accepted by the Father. I'm loved by God regardless of how I perform. I'm forgiven and will not be tormented by my tra- my trespasses, mm. or my past errors. I'm an overcomer. My faith is changing my circumstances. I'm a giver, and God is calling people to help me prosper. You know, God is on my side. I will not fear. The Holy Spirit is my helper. I'm never alone. I have the peace of God. So that's just a couple of them wow. that. Uh, they were in me, but I didn't understand the power of it. But those seeds were getting in me, and, and I, I realize now. And I, and I tested this when I played. I mean, my best year, my best year that a year I got player of the year with the Cardinals was the year that I actually operated in that. Every other year, I never did it. I did, and I don't know why. I don't even ask me why I didn't do it. Yet. But that year was the year that I performed at my best you started doing the affirmations like absolutely right before planted in yep in the game you know just like my mom she would have pictures of me um in fact a lot of people don't even know um just an instant my mom made me a folder of albert pujols and she cut the the picture she cut albert pujols head out of the picture and put my high school head of me in my jersey in in place ahead, so now I see myself in a Cardinals uniform, and I mean, imagine a kid. You're seeing that over. No, every time you open this photo, my face, Cardinals, my face, Cardinals. So when I look back at it, I don't think it's a coincidence. Guess who ends up calling me and signs me in the third round, St. Louis Cardinals. That's you incredible, know? man. So that visual, I mean, just seeing that stuff, and that's why I'm passionate because I know this stuff works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you, I want. To I want people to experience, you know, what I have, what I've experienced, and, and, and you know as well as I do, when you learn how to have success in something, and you you got the system down, and you know you can make it work for you, it makes it a lot easier to share with others. You know, mm-hmm. you're not trying to hold on to it. He's like, I can make this work anytime. Yeah, you know. So since you went there, let's talk about visualization and okay. if that's important. Like, do you still do that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I did it this morning. Really. Yeah, I, I did it this morning. Um, I, you know, the reality of it is, is that we're we're all visualizing mm-hmm. something. Uh, it's just what it what is it. See, if you're watching TV all day, then you're getting those images in your head that, that aren't beneficial to you. Uh, it, obviously, if it's not productive information. I mean, let's let's put it like this: Why do commercials talk to you and then have a burger go straight across the state? I mean, the the screen real slow. The burning that in your mind. They you know, got that in your mind, and next you know, you say, oh man, I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to tell my kids sometimes. He'll, my, my youngest son, he'll sometimes come into uh, the house, just go in the refrigerator for no reason. For no reason at all. But just imagine the lifestyle where you just sit in front of TV, you're watching this thing, food's on your mind all the time. Food, food, food. You're not even hungry, food's on your mind. You know, and so the power of visualization, it, it matters. Now, when we understand that process and start now we can start to make it work for us intentionally mm-hmm. uh, with stuff that we say we want with stuff that we say we want in our in our lives yeah so give me give me an example of visualization because quite honestly I'll be honest you know I wake up and pray and mm-hmm. I haven't quite got a hold of the visualization mm-hmm. thing yet but I talk to people who are high level people yeah. I'm talking CEOs and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, high performers, and they visualize, man. Yep. Yep. So um, tell me why it's not just foo-foo. Well, number one, I can tell you not why it's not foo-foo, just for the example that I gave you about the Cardinals yeah. thing. But 
I mean, if you really, if you really want to go there, uh, let's let's take a, a tough subject like pornography. Yeah. Why is that? Why why is an image? Why is that image so powerful? Why do? Why is it so hard to get away from that? Because the more and more you 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 focus on it, the more and more that image gets burned in you, and then now you start desiring what's on the inside of you. That's where your desires being curtain. And then what happens next? You act out on that, mm. whether that's physically. Uh, um, you know, emotionally, all that stuff, you act out on it. And, and once that action is created, now you start reaping the benefits or I shouldn't say benefit, the consequences of that action. And it all started from the image that you produce. The, the very word imagination, image. Mm. Your imagination is your image maker. That's why kids, kids right now are losing their, 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 their imagination. Kids right now, they're afraid to dream. And as we get older as adults, what happens? Life happens. Things get in the way. And what happens? Those little dreams that we have when we were kids, we stop having them now. Now it's because we got to get a, we got to go to work. We got to go get a job, get a nine, take care of family. See, all this stuff starts suppressing the dreams. And then next thing you know, now we're depressed, we're upset, we're frustrated with our lives because we stopped dreaming, because we stopped visualizing. That's what kids do. Kids... I mean, ah, oh man, I, I, now that you brought that up, my mom used to get on me when I was in the car, man, and I literally, I'd go off into to blanks. I'd just stare off in the space. And I remember sometimes I was just thinking about stuff, just thinking, what are you doing that for? You know? And I'm like, and so if you're not careful, what happens is you end up, even as a parent, I'm a parent now, and you even as a, as a parent can Plant a seed in your kid and say, nope, doing that stuff is not okay. Mm-hmm. My son, he twiddles with his fingers a lot, my youngest son. Mm-hmm. Always done. And I'm just telling him, stop doing that. Until I, I started reading some books and uh, getting some insight on this and talking about how there's certain things you notice around with your kids that if you see it early enough, you can kind of promote that. And so I said, let me change my mindset towards this. And so he starts doing this. I'm, I'm like, okay, Dave. And he's always tapping stuff. Well, I remember one time I handed him one of my necklaces. I, had, I couldn't fix it. You know what he did? Put it together. Next day, he's out on the bike putting stuff together. Next thing you know, oh, man, I want to be an engineer. Next, mm. So I'm looking at all these pieces. I'm like, wow. He, he's, he's a hands guy. He likes working with his hands. That's a gift. Take, that's a gift. That's why mm. his fingers are. He's always doing that stuff. When I look back at my, 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 my life, people always say, uh, mention my teeth. Uh, they'd always mention my smile, even when I was getting interviewed by uh, news people. You know, they say, well, baseball didn't work out for you. You know, you have a good career in newscasting or whatever. So looking back on it, putting the, the breadcrumbs together, I start. there's something up with this, this mouth thing that I need to be paying attention to. Why it keeps getting me in trouble sometimes, too. Look at those things. So there's that if, you, if we can begin to start to take the time to piece things together of our lives, man, we can start to pull that dream and that purpose back together again. Mm-hmm. So tell me about visualization for you. Man, visualiz- visualization. What does it look like? Can you so, give me kind of- So for me, I'll tell you like this morning, and, and a lot of times you got to start out slow. I take five minutes, you know, and try to focus on something that I want or would like to see happen. So let's take for my marriage, for example. I'll take a few minutes literally just to get a picture of me and my wife, you know, um, 
being intimate, whether it be hugging, you know, holding hands, celebrating together. I'm just picturing these things. And a lot of times the focus will kind of, you have something to try to get in the way and I try to stay there until I get it there for a little bit. And it's almost becomes a challenge with myself. Excuse me. Vision boards, okay? Having vision boards, putting images and pictures up there. I, I actually just bought a, a house booklet for my wife because she told me I want a new house. So we're going to go together and pick out the house that she wants. Mm. Take that picture out, put it right there on the board. So now and put a little scripture or something under there so that every time we look at that, now we have the scripture and then we got the boom, the vision right there. It, it works. How is that any different than anything else? I get the image in myself, get the desire, act on it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and typically, like I said, those pieces start to t- come together, and it's all different timing. But for me, that's what it looks like. I take time, you know, certain times out the day to just stop and visualize. So let's let's talk about that. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about one. You, you made it to the highest level in sports. Mm-hmm. You you were drafted into the major league baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, talk about the journey, like what, like what it what it takes to reach that level, you know, and kind of because people see people see athletes on the screen and they oh. just say, well, they were you know they were born gifted, oh, and I'll never be able to do that. So mm. talk talk to that, <laughs> man. Man, you talking about journey? Yeah. So I like a seventeen year old, you know, I signed for half a million dollars, so. I mean, what? I, it's kind of hard to put that in perspective. I look at it now. I'm like, God, dog. If I know, if I would just known what I know now, it'd been totally different. But I mean, I'm thankful for what happened. That journey, I look at it. I'm actually in the process of of writing a book right now to talk about that journey mm-hmm. uh, because that journey is no different than being successful in any other industry, whatever. Because what I didn't know was that I was a salesperson. I was selling myself. Every day that I was going out, I'm going to sell myself to people that want to invest in my product, with that that being me. Okay, so that journey right there, it was ups, it had ups and downs because I didn't understand uh, the process and how it works. I, I went in there, you know, obviously like a high pick, you know, hey man, I'm, you know, everything's good. And then I had my worst worst year ever my first year and that was the first year that I really struggled for a long period of time mm. I had like 205 my, my rookie season mm. 205 um, and let's talk, talk about that more like mm. you come in as a as a, as a high pick mm-hmm. to I mean you got drafted to the team that you wanted to be drafted to so yeah. this was like a dream come true right and then things don't go so well things don't go so well because I didn't go so well <laughs> tell me what do you mean <laughs> man like I said it, you give a seventy-year-old that much money, <laughs> you, you like you see. You're probably already imagining some of the things that are going. I mean, you give a seventy-year-old that much money, and I had just turned eighteen after I got my money, too. So, I mean, I, I I can literally remember walking into Champs at the time, the Champs of Foot Locker, and looking at my bank account, seeing one hundred eight thousand dollars. I remember exactly. I'm like, ooh, man, I'm good, you know. So, but that obviously I was looking to buy, buy something, buy something. And, and that mindset destroyed me because I was in an environment that I wasn't really ready for, but had to get ready for, or else it would literally destroy me. 
Hmm. You know, because what happens is a lot of times when you go in there, you know, I, I didn't have an identity outside of being a baseball player. Baseball was my life. So it was live or die, sink or swim as a baseball player. I mean, there's many nights that I cut my, my family off that I didn't even talk to them uh, if I didn't have a bad game. I mean, a good game. I mean, I can remember going uh, without, I mean, a couple of weeks and sometimes weeks with my mom, months with my sister, you know, at the time. Um, and this is before I got married. Uh, so, like I said, that's all I knew. But even when I got married, I mean, <laughs> you can ask my wife. It's it it a tough road because when I don't have a good game, you know, it's all she wrote. I mean, yeah. there, there was thoughts of uh, suicide mm. at times because that's that was my life. That's all I knew. You know, so imagine in today's world where everything is being pushed at you. Same thing as being pushed at us, but at an alarming rate. Right. So you can get where all the people are struggling with, mm -hmm. uh, and which is why I have an affection for uh, youth sports mm -hmm. and, and trying to get to those guys early to, to get them to see that who you are is not what you do. Right. You know, but if you develop confidence in who you are, it will affect what you do in a positive way. Mm -hmm. um, and that is something that I credit to the difference between me early in my career and I, I look at my high school career as being the most successful I've ever been in life because that was the most confident I was. I remember I was such a team player. I did. It was about winning. I wanted to win the game. It wasn't about my numbers and all the stats. You know why I wasn't worried about my numbers or stats? Because I was confident that I was the best player on the team. I was confident. And it didn't like the old saying, what's understood doesn't have to be spoken. We, we knew I was the best player. And I played like I made other people better. When I got into pro ball, it became about me, 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 me. I got to get mine. I got to step over this dude because he's trying to step on me. And you lose sight of that. You stop, playing, you stop doing the little things. See, to win a baseball game, it's the little things. The guys that can execute the little things are the guys that are going to help the team win and teams get better. But if you are so selfish that you're like, screw that, I'm trying to get mine. You know, typically you won't go out of your comfort zone. For example, you know, I could have made my game a little bit better had I become a better bunner. But bunning, it, I just didn't want it. It's not glamorous. It's not glamorous. There you go. That's perfect. It's not glamorous. It's not glamorous. I wanted to get the hit. I bunted in high school if necessary. I got a pro ball. Now I got to get my, you know, so I wouldn't bunt, you know. Now, was I a great hitter? Hitting was my number one tool, but, and speed. But had I incorporated that, how, many, how much more for my game could I have, you know, made it big? You know, how, could, how much better could I have made my impact of the game? I mean, how many more hits could I have saved, mm -hmm. you know, save myself just by bunting that ball down the line and third base and playing back? But that pride said, no, nah, I got to go for the big time. Yeah, thinking back to what you said about being a team player in high school versus MLB, mm -hmm. um, I was doing some research on Jordan for, for a book that I'm writing. And uh, if you look at his points per game over his career, when he came out of the gate, they were super high, mm -hmm. but they started to drop. But his team's got points got yes. better. And they started winning champion yeah. championships. Yep. So the team mentality is clearly the, the the stronger mentality. And to your point, what for all the MJ versus LeBron James debate? 
what's the one thing that keeps that MJ, you know, guys hold on to over yeah. LeBron James? It's the championships. The championships. Yeah. So it's he may have took less, but he's got the championship, and that's what's kind of keeping him at that elite level. You know, and, and you, like I said, you, you're you're very humble at this, and when it comes, but you you have a great understanding of surrounding yourself with people that can help me get the job done, and and that's ultimately what it's about. Because if you can do, I think TDJ said he said if you can accomplish your vision all by yourself, you're thinking way too small. Hmm, man, way too that's small. good. Yeah. I gotta yeah. agree with that. Hey, look, that was that might have been the statement that made me call you because I was like, "What the heck am I doing? I got this dude in here that I can reach out to and get some help because I don't know what the heck I'm doing." And I, I remember sitting in that apartment, man, and I was going through my phone. And I was like, "God, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know what to do." You know, I said, "How I go from this this big old house to this apartment? You know, how I go from this now pushing a, all right, pushing a." Uh, Paint, I'm painting a football field for $150. And I can't even get the $150 now. I got to wait till next week to get it. I'm like looking at my, what is going on? And uh, I remember getting in my phone and I said, man, I have people around me that that I can reach out to. But see, I wasn't used to reaching out to other people. Mm -hmm. My whole life and my career depended on me. Your performance. My performance. Yeah. So relying on somebody else, no. Yeah. I'll get the job done. You know, if, if, even in baseball, if, if a guy doesn't get the job done, the first person, next thing they say is that, hey, pick him up. You pick him up now. So now it was, it's my response, my job to pick that dude up. Nobody else's. Yeah, know? a lot of people see asking for help as a weakness when yeah. it's actually just the opposite. It's a strength. My sister, my sister might hate that I'm going to tell you this, but... She uh she's a very fast successful designer right now so whatever but she uh she struggled in school she struggled in school man I had a four point two GPA I'm good but I was always person I would stay after for a tutoring if need be I mean I missed a baseball game one time because I went to math tutoring to make sure I wasn't you know I got my stuff together um, she struggled and yet she didn't want help. So there, I think there's a correlation there where all successful people are willing to go seek help. Because uh, what, what it's saying is, I get it. I'm not where I want to be, but you have been where I've been. So I want to seek. I mean, God, you give other people uh, purpose just by doing that. I can't tell you how many kids I've told, man, I want you guys to help, um, to ask for help. I mm -hmm. want to share with you, you know. Um, so I think it's always important to seek people that have been there. Let's, let's, I want to move back to the uh, Major League Baseball environment. Okay. Because you said once you, once you moved from high school, there was a big shift when you joined the Major League Baseball yeah. um, team, the Cardinals. You started off in the Cardinals. Yeah. What is the environment? In in Major League Baseball, talk. Let me tell me. Tell me. You're trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to get in trouble. Nah, nah I'm not worried about it. Um, you know, surprisingly, I'm more free now than I ever was in a locker room. Um, that's just me personally. Everybody, but I think if if, if somebody were there's certain things that you can't do. There's certain things that you can't say. There's all these unwritten rules. And I look back on it right now. I can remember getting out. And part of it was because of my mindset at the, at the time. It was pro, what we're programmed, how we're programmed to act. 
Uh, but I can remember getting out, and every time I get out, I look at my coach, see if he's looking at me. Mm-hmm. I'm a grown man. I'm 22, 23 years old at the time, and I'm looking at my coach, see if he's looking, assuming that he's looking at me because I got out. He might have been looking at somebody in the stands, don't even matter, but it, I always feel like it was looking at me. Um, I was thinking about this today. One of my pitching coaches, we, we, we went out, uh, and he went out to party with us. And we went to the club, and the next day he came up to me and said, Daryl, let me tell you something. And you know, anytime somebody has a long pause, you're like, oh, Lord, what's going what's on? Coming, what's coming? He said, I watched you last night. I said, okay. I don't know you were there. You were with us. <laughs> he said, if you played baseball and approached the game the way you approached last night, you would be <laughs> unstoppable. Hmm. And what he was saying was, when I was dancing and everything, you know, because he was saying I had a level of influence with my team. Everybody seen I, I was the guy that I wasn't afraid to go out and, you know, and, you know, on a side note, it's not a good thing, but I, I can remember uh, a guy saying, hey, if you need any of the girls, you need any, hey, go to Daryl. You know, and so... You know, as a young kid, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I look back, man, that wasn't a good thing because that, that lets you know what I was putting off. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, so what he was saying was, if you approach the game with that loose, that aggressiveness, that energy, gosh, you would be one heck of a player. Yeah. And I was a heck of a player. I just wasn't as consistent as I needed to be. That's the difference. Uh, every player has their moment. And so what he was saying is you have the ability to infect and affect that environment, judging how people follow you at the club. But when you get to the field, you're quiet. Mm. You don't say anything. You're like dead on the inside. And if you look at the way baseball is played, just look at the facial expression. Tell me how many people are smiling and smiling when it's not going good. Mm. Tell me how many people you see straight face. You know, you have a certain level of success. You run around the base. And then you look at anybody that has any kind of personality in the game, your Bryce Harpers, your Yasiel Puigs and stuff. Oh, they they get on them. They mm. get on them. Okay? The game gets on them. They get a lot of criticism. Oh, you shouldn't do that. There's a lot of stuff that if you're not mentally ready, it can keep you in a, a level of people bondage. Um, and that, like I said, it's, it's no different than the world. It, it's, it's no different than the outside world. You have people, you have so-called rules and how you're supposed to act. And, and the minute somebody gets out of line and does something different, oh, no, 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 that's not acceptable. And so you got to really, like I said, I, I, I would love to help people gain that identity without baseball. I would have loved to gain my identity without baseball. So when I got into it, it would it wouldn't affect me as much. And that's the difference between the high school version of me and the pro version of me. You could have wiped baseball away and I still had my 31 football scholarships. I still had my my track my track resume. I still had my my uh, you know academic awards. I was everything. I mean a lot of people don't know my high school voted me most likely to succeed. Hmm. Um, and, and like I said, I don't think that came as a coincidence because of what I was doing behind closed doors, I just didn't know that's what it was at the time. Mm-hmm. So had I known that at the time, I assure you that I would have operated 
in that yeah from the get-go yeah fame can really <laughs> set people off course absolutely so let me ask you this um i want to talk just stay with baseball for a second yeah the day you were drafted, man, mm-hmm. what, what was that like? Oh, that was fun. I mean, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, you would think, you know, you see the football, you know, they had the whole fam- family gathering. Uh-huh. Well, my family couldn't be there because uh, my entire family, uh, besides, you know, obviously now my wife, my, my kids, and then uh, my mom, my sister, and uh, my dad and my grandma, those are the only ones that are down here right now. Everybody else is in Detroit. So, um, obviously, back when I was 17, I got drafted. Um we had we lived in spring we had a, a little one-story house and you know baseball draft not like football man we got watch we had to watch it on the computer they didn't have like like now if you're in the first round pick or something they'll you know do it like football they have you on tv on the stage it wasn't that they literally read reading your name off a computer hmm. you know so it's like daryl jones st louis cardinals number next you know kobe rasmus you know whatever that's how it was written. So it's like kind of bland. Mm-hmm. So we actually, because our computer wasn't working, we had to go to a neighbor's house down the street and say, hey, you know, my son might, might get drafted to the baseball, you know, pro baseball. Can we use your computer to do it? So, of course, now another family is like looking. So we're in their house, <laughs> their house, looking at their computer about my, uh, about, you know, that event. And, you know, the feeling was... It was surreal. It was it was a feeling. It was a lifelong accomplishment. But you know you're not finished yet. You know it's unfinished business. Just uh, starting. You just you're just starting. And uh, I, I tell people this all the time. I was happy, but not surprised. Um, and like we were talking about earlier about you know successful people and visualization and stuff like that. Success is intentional. Uh, I didn't. I've never met anybody that's had a consistent success and not know how they did it mm-hmm. you know that it was done on purpose so those years that i look back i was happy but i was not surprised it was like okay now we got this now it's on to the next one because you put in the work because i put in the work <laughs> and, and you have a right to to expect and be confident in a certain outcome whether it comes come past or not you have a right and to expect that because of what you've done mm-hmm. you know and i put in the work and, and it came to pass. So that it, it was exciting. I would put it like this. When I look back on it, I was more excited to see that that process worked than I was actual baseball. If you get what I'm saying. Sure. Baseball was the tool, but it was like, wow, this actually worked. Hmm. You know, I'm excited about this. What, what I did. And so that that's what, when I look back on it now, that, gotcha. that's, that was my excitement. I want to talk about coaches and how, how important they are and really, really just in, influencers in your life, mm-hmm. but particularly uh, coaches because you're a player, mm-hmm. uh, an athlete. Um, so can you think back to coaches in your life that really stand out and yeah. why they stand out, what they said, what they did, and, yeah. and share some of that? Yeah. Um, first and foremost, you know, growing up without a father, I didn't have many you know, father figures to, or I say stable father figures that were just there for, you know, all through my high school years and all that stuff. Now, um, there, there's men in my life that, that definitely helped along the way. Um, for sure. Um, you know, a lot of my, my mom's boyfriends, like my mom's boyfriend, Rodney Witcher, he, and 
he was a great influence from the fact that big on discipline, respect. Uh, and then um, I know uh, they were supposed to be engaged. They didn't end up doing it. And then uh, I think before then, uh, Joe Brown, he, man, he, he worked with me in baseball. He was all about sports. You know, he, he encouraged me to play. He played uh, professionally as well. And so he had a, uh, you know, background. So those two were instrumental before I got, um, before I started playing pro ball. Now, when I go, when I get into pro ball, uh, Keith Mitchell, uh, so he played in the big leagues for six years, I believe. His cousin Kevin Mitchell played in there for a little bit longer than that. Um, if you ever see the Kirby Puckett video, I make fun of him all this time. If you ever see the, the Kirby Puckett for the Twins, he was known for this infamous home run that he hit in the World Series. Well, if you see that outfielder running in the opposite direction of where the ball's going, <laughs> that's Keith Mitchell. So uh, if you ever see that, look up the Kirby Puckett, you know, world's greatest homer or whatever. He's that guy. That's him right there. He was very instrumental in my life because, um, you know, let's keep frank, you know, there, there's not a lot of brothers in, in, in the game, you know, as far as uh, baseball is concerned. And, and so obviously me being young, you know, you're looking for somebody you can relate to. Uh, and obviously, you know, he was another black guy that I could relate to. Um, and, you know, he just took me under his wing, you know, and, and showed me the ropes. And for the time that I was at, and, and I needed him for where I was at. I mean, he, he would, and not, not to mention he was part of the organization, so he could give me inside scoop and, hey, man, you need to pick it up here. And he would hold me accountable. Hey, man, you need to do this better. You need to stop staying out late, you know, because they're watching, you know, stuff like that. So he would always have my back for that. And, and you know, when, when somebody's investing in you, that's that's their language of love to you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Especially as a man, you know, no, we're not expecting a hug and kiss, although it's good to do. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're boys. You know, I appreciate you looking out for me, man. I pre- and, and those actions spoke louder than uh, than words for sure. And, mm-hmm. I, and I needed that in my in my life at that time. Any other coaches stand out? <sighs> you know what? That's good. Coach Washburn from my high school. You know, I, I remember when we we lost we we lost to Westfield, and it was right before. No, we didn't, no, we won the game, but it was our last game of the season. And the year before, we had a state uh, state final four run where we had knocked off Tomball. They were number one in the country, and we had a great run. Man, we lost by one run in the state semifinal game, and we played the next year. And he was so big on discipline and doing it the right way, doing things the right way. And I remember this moment. He taught me so much in this moment, he didn't even know. He pulled me, he called me into his office. And of course, when you get called into the office, I'm like, oh God, I'm in trouble. What Mm -hmm. did I do now? And he looked at me, he said, Daryl, I wanna, I wanna thank you. And I'm like, whoa, what? You know. Cause you don't get you don't get that a lot from coaches. He said, "I want to thank you for not only are you the best player on the team. You got scouts coming here to watch you all day. You know, every day you got scouts coming to school, and yet you're the first one on the field. You're the first one sprinting off. You're ready to." He said, "I can tell it's genuine because you've always done it, hmm. and it didn't stop when those when the scouts were coming. You've always done it, and that goes back from my mom saying you better be Charlie Hustle. You better do 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 you know, and so." But he said that, and that spoke to me because 
it let me know, man, somebody is paying attention. You know, somebody is watching. Even though that's not what I was doing it for, it let me know that he cared about those types of things. So if, if a coach will come up to you and say those types of things, they must matter. Mm-hmm. They, they must matter. And so that, that conversation right there showed me a lot about uh, uh, that. And then uh, one more, this, this last one kind of, it really changed my perspective on baseball or just confidence in general. I was in double A at the time and I had been struggling. And it was actually the year that I got player of the year. And uh, I just got called up to double A. I mean, when I was down in high, and I was swinging, you know, I was number two in the league in hitting. I just had a four for five game. I get called up double A. And, man, I went 0 for 16. I, I couldn't smell the ball. Mm. I was pressing. And, you know, in that environment, you know you, you got people watching. Oh, you know, he's he not doing good. You know. And so you start pressing on yourself. And then you got blogs and all that stuff. Man, I remember looking at those blogs. You know, athletes that say they don't look. They look. They look. They don't even lie. We like to see, especially when we're doing well, we want to see what people are saying about us. And then when I didn't have a good game, I never watched it. I don't even want to see. But I went up there, and he pulled me into his office. He said, Daryl, look, there's a month left in the season. Okay. You're not getting sent down. Okay. You belong here or else we wouldn't have brought you up here. Okay. Do your thing. You belong here. You're good enough. And I didn't know at the time, but those words spoke life to me. And literally, just just know the end of the story ended up being the next week, uh, double A player of the week. Next week, double A player of the month. Then at the end of the season, they rated me the number five prospect in all of double A after only seeing me play for a month. Hmm. Everybody else had been there for five, six months. I was there for a month. They said, huh, you're the best. You're the number top five player in this league. Those words of confidence changed my entire season yeah. <laughs> for the rest of my season. So that that's those were biggest influences. Yeah, there's a, there's a key kind of trend in what you're saying, and that's – like the power of what we tell ourselves and the power of what others tell us. Mm. That's really important. And I know you believe that, but tell me, talk, talk a little bit about that because, because now you're, and I want to talk about the, the transition out of major league baseball, but let's go there first. Let's, yeah, let's go there first before we go to transition. Now. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but the, uh, man, your, your words matter. You know, in the Bible it says death and life from the power of tongue. Um, you know, if you don't believe your words matter, go up to somebody and, and go up to two different people. Tell one person, hey, man, they're beautiful, or they're, they're, they're a great person or whatever. And then tell the other person, man, you're terrible, you stink, you, you know, and you tell me which response is better. Mm-hmm. I guarantee it's going to be the one, you know, that you gave a good response to. But I th- a lot of times, you know, we're so free with our mouth these days and sarcasm. Sarcasm, I learned a lot of sarcasm is meant to shut you down, too. Because, you know, we're built to where our mouth creates our reality. Our mouth creates what we believe. What you say out of your mouth, you hear and believe more than anybody else. You know, I was in a biology class. Uh, when I was taking classes at Lone Star a couple years ago. And they did a study. And I think it was you retain 25% of the stuff that uh, other people say to you. And then you hear or you you retain up to 75% of what you say to you. Hmm. 
Hmm. And so they were just doing the difference between either way you're retaining it, but that what you say to yourself holds a lot of weight. And I just find it so funny. Why is it so hard to speak negatively about yourself? I mean, it's easy to speak negatively about yourself, but it's hard to speak positively about yourself. And I found this out one year when I was playing. And like I said, I look at a lot of things that people do, and I say, why, why are they doing that? This must matter. They, the Cardinals hired a psychology guy to come in to work with us on visualization. Okay, So remember, these are millionaires. These are, these are guys that got millions of dollars. They got money, but you still feel the need to bring them in. So there must be something that matters, okay? Because uh, obviously this is an investment for all everybody that's involved. So the organization wants to assure that they make the right investments. They're not just going to go hire somebody for some reason they don't need to. And so they, he made us stand up. And I remember they said, who wants to be successful? And we're all like, and he was like, what the heck are you doing here for? If you don't want to be successful, all your hands should be raised. But, you know, we were in fear, worried about what everybody else was thinking. And, you know, hmm. and so... And that's another thing, fear, you know, but he made us stand up in the mirror and look ourselves in the mirror in front of everybody. He says, I want you to speak out what type of season you want to have. What do you want your average to be? And we have to look ourselves in the mirror. And that's weird because how many times do you really look yourself in the mirror and say, I am this or I can do this. And, you know, versus we just look and you know, brush your teeth and get out of there. And so we're literally staring ourselves in the face and it's like, wow, this is kind of powerful. And it must matter because why am I afraid to do it? Why am I afraid to do it in front of other people? You know? And so the system is designed to get you to be in fear. So you won't believe that you are what you really, what you're capable of, you know, becoming. Mm-hmm. Um, so I look at it like that. If, if an if a organization was willing to hire a guy in and make us do that, you know, and, and this had nothing to do with God. It had nothing to do with anything. It had everything to do with your words are powerful. Right. Okay. Let's not even talk about the God, the God thing. That just makes it even bigger. But these are people that don't necessarily believe, you know, in that. And they're still saying, mm-hmm. hey, man, you're powerful. So I'm like, well, this must matter. <laughs> so. Yeah. There's a good quote, man, that I often think about. Um, I think Tim Ferriss repeated it from this somebody named Anise Nin. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it. But uh, the quote goes, uh, life expands and contracts into por- in proportion to one's courage. Mm. Life expands and contracts in proportion to one's courage. Mm-hmm. I thought, man, that, that's, that's true. Mm-hmm. Man, if you don't believe in yourself, you're going to shrink back. Oh, that's, <laughs> like I said, that goes back. A lot of that goes to, the, in the visualization, how do you view yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, if you view yourself as a slave, you're going to act like a slave. You know, a slave acts like they're in control. They're ruled by people. You know, someone's over them. But when you understand that you rule yourself, not be anybody else, then suddenly, all of a sudden, what so-and-so did to you over there doesn't matter. How do you respond? Mm-hmm. I think Will Smith, I was listening to a Will, uh, Will Smith uh, motivational deal. I love listening to his, good, his stuff, man. man. And, and he said, he said, look, you're right. It's not your, it, it's not your fault that your parents may have done something to you or your or your relationship, they did something bad to you. He said, but it, it dang sure is your responsibility to figure out how to piece it together to make sure that your life ends up the be- the way, the blessed way, the most blessed way it can. Mm-hmm. He said, so, and it, 
it goes back to this one simple statement that I heard when I first stopped playing ball. It may not be your fault, but it is still your responsibility. And that was a quote that was given to me about taking leadership over my family. In spite of what had just happened with me losing my job playing baseball. Now, it may not be my fault that sudden, certain stuff that happened and all of a sudden, regardless, but it's your dang sure responsibility. You got to take care of your family now. And, and this this is what you need to do. Right. So let's let's go there since since we started talking about the transition. How, how tough was that, man? Talk a little bit about the transition out of oh, MLB because yeah. you... Because you talked about your identity. Yeah. I mean, you were a baseball player first, right? That's it. And then everything else came next. That's it. So when you <laughs> lost that, what was that oh like? I let, let, real quick, so I was, I was speaking to a group of uh, a high school baseball team. I got asked to speak in front of them, and, and we were kind of joking around. And we were talking about the same thing, about the identity and the transition. And I made a little joke about, you, you know, about going to the clubs and, you know, not telling, you know, girls that, you know, just Daryl, I'm Daryl the baseball player. You know, I'm Daryl the St. Louis Cardinal. You know, that's how we would do it. And that's how a lot of guys do it. And it's funny because anytime people start to giggle and laugh, it's usually because they understand what you're talking about. And so half of the team was like, Ooh, because as high schoolers, I mean, these are high school kids, hmm. they're relating to what I'm saying. So that means they're going and telling girls and, and they're posing and, and having an identity that's false because they want they don't believe that they can get that girl and and be her boyfriend whatever it is with just them it's Mm -hmm. gotta be an extra layer so to your point that was a huge struggle for me because sports was my entire life um when when i when i stopped playing there was a sense of me that it was a sense of freedom but ultimately it wasn't because it's like hold on now i said i put my whole entire life into this, I mean, just imagine, just imagine if you put your whole whole entire life into something and it doesn't turn out the way. It I mean, how would that affect you? <laughs> and you put or not even whole put twenty years, twenty plus years into something and have it just <laughs> gone, just like that. I'm pretty sure somebody you would have an effect on everybody. Uh, it would have an effect on everything, you know, going forward. But so when I got home, of course, this is like getting married. You're in your honeymoon phase. You know, hey, everybody's happy to see you and all this other stuff. You know, kids, all you know, playing video games with the kids. <laughs> couple months, let a couple months go by. Hey, babe, where, you, you bringing any money up? <laughs> you know, wife started asking, uh, what, what you, what you going to do with money? We're glad you're home, but what you, what you going to And so now the reality of, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so you start getting pressure on that, and then you start getting pressure of thinking you're a failure. Thinking that, you know, and there's many nights I spent crying. Mm. You know, I can remember my my wife saying something. It, it wasn't positive, you know, whether it was right or not. I don't remember, but it wasn't positive. And I remember getting so angry. And I remember I got so angry because I believed that a little bit about what she was saying was true. As far as being a failure or something like that. And it made me look at myself hard and decide, okay, is this going to be the end of me, you know, Daryl Jones, oh, the great high school, you know, player, blah, 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 and then just gone, or I got to grit my teeth, I got to get toughen up, because typically when I go through things like that, God starts reminding me about what I teach my kids, 
And I remember telling my son, I gave him two instances. I told him, because I guess his little brother, I mean, brother, you know, older brother and younger brother, they fight a lot. So I guess the older one called him stupid or something like that at the time. And I said, David, you believe you're stupid? No. I said, what you mad for? Hmm. Well, Daryl, you believe you're a failure? Mm, yeah. See, it's hard to answer that when you like, so you got to be honest with yourself. And I, I, I believe that I was a failure because I had had a knack. I mean, God, sports has, a, it, it, sports has the ability to make or break you. And what I mean by that is if you if you think that sport is all about performance, because sports is performance-based. I mean, mm-hmm. this world is performance-based. Mm-hmm. But we got to understand the core of what yields great performance. On a consistent basis. Ultimately, if you don't understand who you are, if you don't, as a hitter, I gotta get, I gotta step up to the plate and think. Okay, I'm not good because I got three hits today. I got three hits today because I'm good. Those results are kind of like what we talked about in the beginning. I was happy but not surprised. You know, but we've been we've been kind of uh, brain trained to. Say, oh, you can't think like that. You know, then you're thinking you're overconfident. You're, you're too, you know, you're cocky. I didn't get to where I got to, nor you get to what you, what you've done in life by thinking low of myself. Mm -hmm. And I had reached a low point to the point where I say, look, dude, you got to pick it up. You you got to pick it up. you, You can't sit here and think that this pity mood mode is going to be acceptable because number one what am i teaching my kids number two who's going to lead my wife what i mean what you you want to be a leader okay lead these three but i, I wanted to no lead these three because i got something bigger for you i got something better and not only that i'm going to use your past i'm going to use all that for your good and so now god starts slowly saying yeah, come on now. See, now I finally got you a place to listen. Because before you was all out there and you about to kill yourself. And then I, I, look, I look back and I'm like, why did I start playing baseball? And I remember the 31 football scholarships that I had. I'm good at that. Could have did track too. I could have did anything I wanted. I mean, I could have went to any school I wanted. And I, I remember choosing to play baseball because I remember telling myself it's the easiest way to get a lot of money and a lot of fame because as a 17 year old I was struggling with identity Hmm. and wanting to be affirmed and wanting the approval of people and so ultimately (laughs) now does that mean don't play baseball am I saying don't play baseball no 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 but for me I also can remember having dreams of uh teaching and, 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 and ministering to people and stuff like that. And I, was, I ain't doing that. Mm-mm. I ain't doing that. So there was glimpse when I was younger <laughs> that was, he was trying to show me, hey, okay, but I don't want to do that. I'm going to do, he's okay, well, I'll let you do what you want to do. But there's going to come a time where it's going to come where I'm going to need you. And uh, I, I believe that time is now. So my, my transition, like any transition, was not easy. It's been rough, but I need it rough. I need it hard because when you're talking about successful athletes, you're talking about anybody successful. They don't even have to be an athlete. You're talking about a military soldier or anyone in 
they've been through some stuff, so you, they're probably people. You, a soft message is something probably ain't gonna ain't gonna do. Maybe for you, but not for me. I'm you know I was hard headed. You know when you start. I mean, think about it. The more money you give somebody, they don't get softer. Mm-hmm. Money amplifies it. So if you, you, you know, you already got a little something going on, and I'm gonna hand you a hundred million dollars. You think I'm gonna be like, oh yes, I'm better. No, you're gonna be more of what you already are. So if you're a hard, tough dude, you're just gonna harder, harder, tougher. And then you get to a point where like, okay, I'm gonna get myself out of this my way. I'm gonna do it because I've been doing it my way the whole time. So my transition. <laughs> Look, I don't even say. My transition right now does not work when I decide to stand in the way. It only works when I decide to yield and let what needs to happen because really it's a, it's a character building process. And that's why I've looked at my train. I'm in my character building process. Uh, and that's the way I look at my transition. Because there's times I look back and I'm like, man, could have done a little bit. But then I look back, all the injuries, I had a lot of injuries, man. I had a lot of injuries that. Um, would prevent me now, even my eyes, you know, just, so it's reminding me like, ah, well, you know, I can't, <laughs> I so got Let's talk about moving forward. Yeah. What's, what's in store for the next decade for you? Ooh. What are you passionate about? Let's yeah, start pa- with that. People. I love people. I love, I love helping people. I love working with the youth. Uh, I like working with you, man. And, you know, we had this relationship for a few years and, uh, man, I enjoy helping people get better. I, I mean, there's something about being able to look at somebody where they're at right now and not only promise them that they'll be better, but then see them get better, see them smile, and then you say, man, I helped that person do that. I, helped, I was a part of that. And it's not even hell. I was a part of that. I got to be a part of that. Um, because ultimately, those, those, those are what keeps you alive. Those, those moments keeps you alive longer. Because you know when you you give what you I mean you receive what you give and so when you're giving when you're giving giving you're going to continue receiving and so I want to be a part of bringing change into the lives of people millions of people you know and in any way I can do that whether it's through sports whether it's through business whether it's through uh, speaking whether it's through teaching doesn't matter I, I have multiple gifts and I want to use all those as tools to be able to make your life better after having met me. Yeah. Well, you got a book that you published um, about a year ago, right? I'm looking yeah. for it right here. Here it is. So got it's uh, yeah. So tell me about the inspiration behind that, and then you know, kind of how it's turned in, what it's turned into for you. Okay. Well, I, don't, I haven't told a lot about this, but if you look in the beginning, I talk a little bit about. Uh, an athlete, an NFL athlete, uh, telling a newscast that uh, God didn't care about football. Okay, I'm not gonna say any names, but uh, he said God don't care about football, man. Uh, you know that's that's your spiritual life. That's what you keep, you know, behind closed doors. You know, and that's personal. And you're right; it is personal. But ultimately, your person, your personal, your private becomes public, whether you like it or not. <laughs> right? Whether you like it or not. So if it's really personal and genuine. It'll be public and genuine as well, uh, and not a big show. But my purpose in doing this was a lot like the relationship a, a parent has with a child. I, uh, I take when I when I was a kid, I, I, my mom didn't grow up liking baseball. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't her favorite sport, but why she get into it? Because her child liked baseball. 
uh, she wouldn't never heard her play it, talk about saxophone or anything. All of a sudden, she talks about saxophone. Why? Because her child uh, got it. I mean, any parent, anybody as a parent, and I'm sure you understand this. Mm -hmm. You you get involved with what your kids are involved, not because of anything that they've done. It, it's because that's my child, and they show an interest in that, and that's what I'm going to do. And so I wanted to write this book to help people understand that God cares about sports because He cares about you. Mm -hmm. So if you're involved in sports, I want sports work because I think about what I said before. If if it if sports was driving me to the point where I wanted to kill myself, and I was disowning family, don't you think that might be something that God would want to get involved in and say, okay, let's see if we can help because this is either if we can't make it better. With you here, then we're going to have to get you up out of there. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Get you up out of there and get you to a place where I can, you know, talk some sense into you, you know. And it just so happened, you know, that that's what motivated me to write that book. Because I, I think we just have a, a wrong perspective about, God, we keep it closed in all the time. It, it's no different. <laughs> this, why put all the, why read books? Why why read all these books if ultimately the knowledge and the inspiration that we get on the inside of us is not eventually going to be shown through our physical actions? What's the point? Mm -hmm. You just storing up knowledge for what? At least talk to somebody, share it, spread it, give it. It's what goes in is supposed to come out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't believe that? Go to the, that's why you go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I think we get. I think we get in trouble when we try to compartmentalize God and yep. say, "Well, God can exist in this area." But not in this area. Yeah. You know, this is different. Yeah. It's fear. It's fear. We don't, and we know it. It's just we don't, we get afraid. And so we try to mask it. And yeah. Dude, I'm going to tell you right now, God is fun. You know, mm -hmm. he's, God is fun when you are fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what am I trying to say? Your perspective with yourself will determine your perspective in any other relationship. And that's typically how it goes. If you enjoy yourself, and God will help you enjoy yourself. When you start doing it, man, all your other relationships start to all of a sudden be good. I mean, how many times do we meet somebody and, and well, we really don't know them? Then we typically have more of a negative mindset first. And then we get to meet them. Oh, man, I like that dude. Man, that dude's cool. Well, before you weren't saying that. But when you got to me, like, oh, okay, I'm, I like him, man. Mm -hmm. So tell me about speaking. What? So I mean, I know you're passionate about speaking. Mm -hmm. What What do you like to speak about? Uh, I like to speak on leadership. Mm -hmm. I like to speak, obviously, identity. Um, I, you know, anything that involves my past. Uh, you know, I, I believe that. You know, I like to be taught by people that have been through stuff. You know, I don't want to be taught by somebody who never had nothing go wrong. Because what happens when we got something wrong? You ain't gonna be able to know how to tell us to get out of it because you've never been through it. Uh, but I, I, identity, leadership, obviously, you know, the principles of success, understanding, you know, your relationship with God, obviously that's, I mean, that's first and foremost, uh, but, uh, building yourself up. I'm real big on personal development, uh, because I believe that John Maxwell said it all, man. He, he changed my life with one thing. Everything gets better when you get better. And so that forced me to look at my my life and say okay well why is this relationship not working why is this relationship not working why is this relationship there's three different people and i'm in the center of all that. well god dog i need to if something's up with me hmm. you know if you don't like it change the way you think about it i mean you know the bottom line is 
when we can get to the point where we understand that every, I just told my sister the other day, because she called me and she was upset about some business transaction that happened. And she was rightly so after we explained. But at the end of the day, I, I told her, I said, the reason why you're offended is because when they speak about your business, they're really speaking about you because you are your business. Your business, you are the core of your business. When they talk bad about that, they're saying it's, it's hitting you personally because that's what is coming from you. So ultimately, it always starts with us. Mm-hmm. And so if we can develop ourselves and develop our mentality, develop our attitudes, develop, ooh, I'm big on the mind, boy. That mindset got to get, it's got to go if you want to go go higher. So let's wrap up. Let's yeah. talk about some leadership stuff that yeah. you follow. So what, what have been like uh, cornerstone leadership quotes or books that you kind of follow and, and put deep in your soul to keep you rolling? Like I said, John Maxwell is huge. Uh, mm-hmm. He's for as far as leadership, everything gets better when you get better. Um, Ron Carpenter, he's a minister. Uh, that that's where I got the quote where he, he talked about it may not be your fault, but it's your responsibility. Uh, I know Creflo Dollar. Um, he's he's a big time mega preacher uh, in, in Atlanta, Georgia, and, and you know he gets a lot of criticism on you know stuff. But like I said, what who does it? If you're doing anything. Great, you're gonna be attacked, especially mm-hmm. when you have a message that's helping people. He's been very instrumental in uh, uh, being a part of helping uh, save my life. Um, and so, I, as far as like right now, um, I'm reading uh, Million Dollar Habits by Dean Graciosi, um, and he talks about man, it's great. He decided, he talks about how he interviews this lady, and uh, she she says, "Who are the people?" that you look up to. So I want you to name five people that you look up to. Then I want you to list those qualities about why you look up to them. And those are the type of people you need to continue to surround yourself with. And also those are the type of people you need to emulate, you know, because if, if you like that, that means there's something that, there's something in there that there's you something attracting you, yeah. you know, connecting there. And so right now that that's where I'm, I'm, I'm attention, you know, Changing my habits, you know, always getting better habits. Obviously, leadership, uh, and then John Maxwell. He's he's big. Well, my leader, John Maxwell is my big leadership guy. I mean, that 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 dude right there, man. He's he's a beast. He's, yeah, he's on point. There's not much you can, you know, say that. I mean, guys got like 75, 80 books or something out there. Like it's ridiculous. So yeah, that's good, man. Well, if somebody's interested about uh, about either having you come to speak for them mm-hmm. or. Um, getting a copy of your book, where's a good place for them to find that information? Uh, right, obviously, you know, contact me through email um, at djones62008 at yahoo.com. Um, or, but have, the books are on Amazon, they're on Audible. Um, I mean, they've been out for two years now. Um, and, I mean, like I said, they're, they're all over. So, um, you know, if you really want one, they got Amazon. You know, sure. How about social media? Social media. Uh, as far as do you have profiles that you yeah, oh yeah, that yeah, you want to share? Obviously, uh, Instagram. Uh, my Instagram information: the Daryl Jones, um, the D A R Y L Jones. A lot of people don't spell spell that right. Um, and then obviously Snapchat, but that's a little more personal. Well, we did. Uh, we didn't get a whole lot into your coaching, but man, you're passionate about coaching and pouring into kids and mm-hmm. and really kind of just encouraging them and sowing the seeds that were sown in your life. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Good job. I appreciate you having me. And I'm excited to, to, to watch you just 
rocket, you know, rocket forward your yeah. success, your books, your speaking. I can spot talent and man, you're talented. I so appreciate, I appreciate you being a part of what we're doing and coming in and sharing uh, on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, brother. Thank you, bro. Yes, sir. Our mission for this podcast is to bring you stories about veterans, entrepreneurs, and leaders who are doing fascinating things with their lives. Our hope is to inspire you because we believe that inspired individuals will change lives, both theirs and others for the good. Bell Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we're asking for your support. There are two ways to do that. One, by getting involved with our mission, and two, by contributing financially. Please visit vellinstitute.org, that's V-E-L institute.org, to help us make an impact.